Do you ever have the feeling or wonder if success is possible? I mean, you started that diet on January the 1st, and by January the 2nd, you had already blown it. On a more serious note, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's in your marriage or it's in a relationship. Uh, it's in your business. You struggle, you strain, you work, you do everything you can. But then you wonder, is, is success even uh, within reach? I, I think that's very normal. We're in Second Peter chapter 1 this evening. We started a sermon series last week out of this wonderful little book. And I told you we were actually going to do three different sermon series, one with each chapter. The, the next chapter deals with false prophets. The third chapter will be fun. It deals with the end of times. And this chapter, chapter 1, deals with living the Christian life well. That's in, in a wild and tough world. We believe, uh, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, that it was Peter God used to write this book of Second Peter, probably about 30, uh, you know, maybe around 27 to 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. I, I, was, uh, I was studying this week, and I thought it was funny. One, one author said, Peter, God used Peter to write this before he was executed by Nero. And I thought, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize this was probably written before he was executed. Amen. You get that? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so it is a great book. It's a challenging book from a, from a guy who was a, a real man in every sense of the word that God used. But let's begin with this. Talking about successful Christian living. Let's begin with this. It is tough living the Christian life. How many of you would agree with that? It, it, it really is. It really is tough living well for Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We'll look at the rest of that verse uh, more in detail tonight. Okay, Peter's saying, God has given us everything that we need to live the Christian life successfully. Who is Peter? Peter was perfect, wasn't he? I mean, the Catholic Church says he is the first pope. He is perfect. He was a buddy of Jesus. Peter was far from perfect. i just run you through a a couple of his uh, snafus. You remember one time Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And Jesus' reply to him was, get behind me, Satan. Listen, when Jesus looks you in the eyeballs and says, get behind me, Satan, you have just messed up. Amen? (laughs) And then Peter, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I think this was well intended, but it was sin. Think about this. Peter, deciding to defend Jesus, grabs a sword and chops off a guy's ear. You remember that story? If that happened in the deacon's meeting, that'd be exciting, but it wouldn't be good, right? Peter blew it, and then, after willing to fight to the death for Jesus, a few hours later, he denies him once, twice, three times. And then Peter seemed to get his act together. And then we have a story in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul rebukes the fire out of Peter. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation? Because Peter was just blatantly being a racist and prejudiced. And, and he was a Jewish person and he stopped eating with non-Jewish people. And sin, sin, sin. 
Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about himself. And Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. Boy, isn't that you and me? I won't say it's you. I'll say that's me. That's me. It's tough living the Christian life. My first church, I remember, almost within a month of of each other, two men came to me. One was about my age and is probably his mid-20s, and the other one was a guy close to 40, which to me at that time was ancient. And both of them had come from pretty rough past. They had, uh, they took to Christ, and both of them said, man, I had no idea how tough it was going to be living for Jesus. Why, why is it? Well, you think about it, it is tough to consistently be holy, isn't it? It's tough to be consistently forgiving when you'd rather punch. It's, it's tough to love people and to be pure. And it's tough to spend time in your Bible like you need to. It's tough to spend... Prayer's hard work, folks, isn't it? It's a lot easier to preach on prayer than it is to pray. Prayer's hard work. Being in church, every time that offering plate's passed, some of you get you get the tremble a little bit, don't you? Because giving is tough for a lot of people. It, and serving, it's, it is hard. Why is the Christian faith so hard. Well, there's a lot of reasons in the sermon series that we can't go in tonight, but let me give you a few. One, when you got saved, you still have a sinful nature. Did you know that? Wouldn't it have been great if that would have just been flushed away? But that'll be flushed away when you die and go to heaven. You still have the you nature in you. You got the Holy Spirit, you got a God nature, but you still have a sinful nature. Which nature you feed the most is the one that grows and which, which is going to be in charge of your life. But those natures are constantly at war. How many of you have a problem with your sinful nature? And you just like to slap it down occasionally, wouldn't you? But then it'll rear its ugly head back up. And let me tell you another reason it's so tough is the devil's real, folks. The devil is not a Halloween character with a mask and horns. The devil is, is very real. The devil is a fallen angel, which means he's a whole lot smarter than you and me. Now, the devil's name, Lucifer, wouldn't that make the devil a woman? Just wondering. Just teasing, ladies, just teasing. Bad joke, but I thought a little devil humor never hurts. Uh, and Kate, the devil may have had red hair, a red-haired woman. I don't know about that, but uh, that was really bad, wasn't it? Let's move forward. You've got, you've got a real devil who hates you. Listen, the, the devil hates you. And the devil is constantly, and, and, and I've heard theologians say this, God's everywhere. The devil can't be everywhere. He can't be, but his minions are. His minions are everywhere. And so you've got the devil fighting against you. And plus, if you're trying to really live the Christian life, you, you are contrary to the world, aren't you? So you're automatically a target. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to not invite you to parties or places. So it is tough. You say, well, it is tough. Let me tell you, let me comfort you. That's normal if you feel like it's tough living the Christian life. But here's the second thing. Here's where the hope comes in. Success is genuinely possible. Not perfection. Perfection happens when you die. Not perfection, not sinlessness, But success, moving in the right direction, getting better, getting closer to God, these things are absolutely possible because of what we're going to see tonight. In verse 3, 
It says, by his divine power, by his God power. That's not like any power you and I have ever been around. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. It, it Listen, it, it, just when you think about dynamite, you think of something explosive and powerful. This word power means a miraculous, wonderful, in, inherent power, the power of God. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a God life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself. By means of his marvelous glory and excellence, God, listen, God's the one who's initiating this. This is what's great. Look in verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, because of, because of God's splendor, his honor, his virtue, We read on, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and get this, and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Let's look at verse 4. The end of that enables you to escape, to get away from the world, the world that's opposed to Christ. Not the pretty flowers, but the world that's opposite of Christ caused by our human desires, our human lust. Very simply what that's saying, and and it's saying so beautifully, much more beautifully than I'm expressing it, is that because of God's great power, God's great strength, God's excellence, God's wonderful majesty, God has initiated the whole process, and God has given us everything we need, and I'm going to show you what that is, to live successfully. Well, that's great, isn't it? So in other words, when we leave here tonight, we don't have to add ten things to this. We've already got this. What are these three things? Let me share with you from, from these, two, these two verses what they are. Number one, success, the success possibility starts at salvation. This may sound very simple, but I want to tell you, it's very, very important. In verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for godly living. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us, by coming to know him. I said this last week. The word know is a, is a key word in the book of Second Peter. Sixteen times it's used. One of the things that was beginning to raise its ugly head in, in, in Christianity or in false teachings was a, a belief called Gnosticism. And it comes from the Greek word knowledge. And people were beginning to exert that they had special knowledge. This reminds me of some believers today. They knew more. And that you could have a deeper walk with Christ if you, you know, had some kind of Star Trek knowledge of God. The biblical word here for know is not that intellectual knowledge. It is experiential knowledge. When he says you've come to know Jesus, he's talking about you have come to a personal, interpersonal, exact, participatory knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. How, listen, again, this may sound so simple, but how do you begin the journey with God is you begin it by knowing Jesus Christ. You begin it by entering into a personal, not merely intellectual, denominational church relationship with God, but through a personal experience with Jesus Christ. L- l- let me throw this at you, and you chew on it for a moment. 
Think about yourself. Think about people you know. There's some people that just, I'm talking about church people here, that we just can't seem to ever get it. We just can't get over the hump. We just don't ever have a desire to pray. We don't ever really have a desire to, to read the Bible. We don't, we don't give like we should. We've heard a thousand tithing sermons where we don't give. We don't serve. Or, or we do, it's mechanical, and we're still hard to get along with, and we're difficult. Maybe that's you or me this evening. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe the problem is they've never been plugged into the source. It's going to be extremely hard to try to live with Christ, for Christ, without a relationship with Christ. He begins this passage by saying, I've given you everything you need to be successful in godly living. and successful in living the Christian life, but you've got to be plugged into the source before anything else. Some people have missed that. They ran straight to second base. They just didn't touch first base. You're automatically out if anybody picks up on that, by the way. Success begins, it begins when we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that when you get saved, the light comes on. How many of you can remember before you were a Christian, being in church, reading your Bible, and then you got saved and how the light came on. Can you remember that? I can remember that. You've got to have Christ before you can walk effectively with Christ. Maybe that's your problem or that person that you're praying for that has church in their life, but they just, something's missing. But here's the second thing that he tells us as Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit to be our helper, okay? You become a Christian, fundamental to walking in the Christian life. And then secondly, when you became a Christian, God gave you the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, I want to jump down to 4. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us his great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. His divine nature, his godlike characteristics are constitution. Now, it's interesting. In Peter's day, there was already Greek writers, some Jewish writers, the Gnostics that were beginning to say that a person could become a god, that um, in this life or maybe in the next life, you could become a god or you could be absorbed into being godlike and being a god even here on this earth. There are religious groups today that teach and preach that you can become a god. That is not what that's saying there at all. What that's saying is, is when the Holy Spirit came to live in you, you got the divine nature. Remember Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to God. There's no such thing as being a Christian without having the Spirit of God. You got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. And when you got the Holy Spirit, you got God living in you. You didn't become a God, but you got God coming and taking residence up in you. Isn't that awesome? You got God living in you. The Holy Spirit is God. Think about that tonight. When you lay down, God lives in me if I am a Christian. Wow. Man, that right there ought to light our fires, change our world, and remind us we've got 
the help to do this, shouldn't we? In John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, it says, And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, he will give you another advocate. This literally means somebody just like me who will never leave you. Jesus is fixing to go back to heaven. He's telling the disciples, I'm leaving you. But these go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. The world can't receive him. It's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Folks, this is what's so awesome and so awesome and so awesome. See, I always, I, I envy the disciples because they got to walk with Jesus, right? Wouldn't that have been so cool to touch him and to, to be with him? And, but here's what Jesus said when he said, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to send somebody exactly like me to live inside of you. So we don't have the pleasure of walking right now and touching Jesus, but Jesus is with us every step of the way. The word Holy Spirit is a Greek word paraclete. The, the, the concept of a paraclete was very familiar in Greek culture. Two Greek soldiers go to battle. They were often paired up. We'd call them battle buddies or whatever you want to call them. But they went into battle in pairs. And here was the concept. You're not going to be alone in the battle. When it's fighting and people are being killed, somebody's watching your blind spot, somebody's got your back, you get injured, somebody's going to pull you out there, you've always got someone in you. That person was called the paraclete. Isn't that neat? That's what the Holy Spirit is. You go, I'm having a hard time living the Christian life. You're normal. Make sure you're saved. And remind yourself, the Holy Spirit lives in me. He is God in me. He is my helper, my paraclete, my battle buddy for this fight here on this earth. And when I've got the Holy Spirit in me, I'm going to trip and fall, but I can be constantly moving forward. Success Hugely is possible because of the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful, isn't it? But if that wasn't enough, here's the third thing. We have the Word of God to help us. We not only have the Holy Spirit, we've got the, we've got the Word of God. In verse 4, he says this, And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great, wonderful, mighty, and precious. That word precious is a great word. It means esteemed and honored promises. He has given us great promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine truth and escape the world's corruption by your human lust. The word promises, if you're taking notes, is a great word. It literally means a good promise or it means a self-committal. How many of you like to commit yourself? I'd rather commit my wife, wouldn't you? Cindy will be happy to help you with that. I like to commit Clayton. You know what? I'm going to be busy, but Wayne and Clayton would love to come by 11 or 12 tonight and help you with whatever's going on. Here's what that verse is saying. This is God's self-committal to you and me. Think about that. The promises, the warnings, the instructions are God's promises. God said, I'm committing myself to you through this. Is that not awesome? I'm giving you this book along with my spirit to give you what you need to successfully live the Christian life. Let me tell you, that's some really good stuff. 
That's some really good stuff. Uh, Otis Brown and I were talking before church, and we both heard this. Someone said the Bible, uh, an acronym is basic instruction before leaving earth. That's pretty good, isn't it? I think I heard that years ago, but I, I still like that. Bible, basic instruction for leaving earth. And in this book, God's given us the promises we need, the warnings we need, the direction we need. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God, means God breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Isn't that great? See, how, how is it possible for me and you, you and me, to live successfully as Christians? We, we make sure we belong to Christ. It begins with knowing Christ. We have the Spirit of God to help us, and we've got the Word of God to guide us and direct us and to help us, and the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word of God. That's wonderful, isn't it? How many of you hate it when you've got a job to do and you don't have the right tools? Isn't that that's so frustrating? Or you, you have the right tools and they won't work. That's even worse. And I love the story about the little boy selling a lawnmower and the preacher comes by to get it. And uh, the, the lawnmower's for $5. The preacher says, son, that's real, that's real high. And he says, well, it won't, it's a real hard time starting. He said, you got to pull it four times and cuss before it'll start. And the preacher said, well, I, I don't cuss. And the little boy said, pull that lawnmower four times and you will. <laughs> the wrong tools, tools that don't work, will frustrate you. God's given us the tools that work. It's not a tool shed with 5,000 things. Only needs three. Needs a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and the Word of God. Those are tools that will hunt. They'll work. Now, here's the last thing. This is not the good thing tonight. You have to do your very best. So you thought you can pawn it all off on God. But you got to do your part. We have to do our part. We have to do our very best here. God's given us the tools. You know, last night I was on the treadmill, and I was actually walking on it. I wasn't standing on it or laying on it. I was on it, and, and my wife had gone into the bedroom, and she's sick tonight. I hope she's watching on the Internet. And she had gone in to read her Bible, and she came out, and, and this is, I, I'm not there yet. I'm about 20 years away, but, you know, she's talking about her, she's getting old and her eyes and all, and she said, uh, uh, she said, you know, I got to get me a, I got to get me a Bible with bigger print. I'm having a hard time reading this. And we talked about it. And when she left, I thought, I thought there's so many cool things about that. One, I got a, a wife that loves the word of God, loves to read it. And that, that so many Bibles are available. You know, we didn't just go, oh man, you're out of luck. I mean, there's a thousand Bibles you can get online or at a bookstore or in your computer. How, how fortunate we are. We, we have the tools, don't we? we we've got all the, the, the tools that we need. But here's the bottom line. Just because I have a lawnmower doesn't get the yard cut. If it did, everybody's yard would look great. Just, you know, just because I got those lights doesn't mean I'm going to get them up on time for Christmas, does it? I mean, you've got to do your part. In verse 5, listen to what it says. In view of all this, everything God's just said, in view of you've got salvation, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Word of God, in view of that, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every, every effort. There is a picture of intensity and focus. 
It's the idea that with diligence and earnestness and focus and persistence, you're going to apply yourself to something. If a, if a surgeon's operating on you, do you want him to be focused, disciplined, and working hard? If he's operating on you, it's not as important as it if he's operating on me, right? And then it's really important. And that's what God's saying here. God's saying, I want your efforts to be focused. I, I want it to be intense. And I want you to do what I tell you to do. A surgeon illustration, Larry the Cable Guy. What's he famous for saying? Get her. Get her done. That's what God's saying here in a much more sophisticated way. I've given you the promises. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you Christ to know. Now get up and apply yourself to it. 1 Timothy 4, 7 is a verse that I love, uh, but it's tough. Don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas. And old wives tell us, how much, t- how much time do we do that? Debate theology, debate religion. Instead, train, discipline yourself to be godly. That word train there is the picture of gymnasium. In other words, if I'm going to be successful in the Christian life, God's given me all the tools. I have to use them. i got to get up and pray. i got to get up and read my Bible. I've got to come to church and be fed. I need to serve. I need to give. I need to share my faith. If I'm going to be successful, and I can be, I've got to do the things God tells me to do. I have to obey him. Again, this is the hard part, but this is exactly where we are. Years ago, a friend of, of Cindy and I was in Texas named Bob. Was, he pastored a church in our little community. And Bob said one night, it was a Wednesday night service, a lady came up and she said, Preacher, pray for me. Cigarettes have just got a stranglehold on me. So he prayed and she cried and he prayed and she cried and asked God to deliver her from the cigarettes. And he said she, they said amen and she walked right out of the back door and lit up a cigarette. <laughs> Listen, I understand how hard tobacco can be to get rid of, but she should have at least taken that package and thrown it away. Amen. Cooperate with God by doing your part. Don't look at the lawnmower and pray and hope the yard gets cut. Get on it, pray, and cut the yard. Successful Christian living happens because God does all the impossible, but we got to do the possible. God does the supernatural. We've got to do the natural. We've got to do our part. So that's what I want to ask you right now. I'm going to throw it to you. Will you do your part? If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, that may be, well, that's not maybe, that is the problem. Come this evening and give yourself to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. We would love for you to, and we're going to try to help you on this journey. Come and join us tonight. Christian, maybe you're doing great with this, and I know many of you are. Keep your pedal to the metal. Don't let up. Maybe you're not doing as well as you should. You've got the tools. Make the commitment to use them. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be down here waiting on you.